How many of you guys would describe yourselves as a follower of Christ? Are you sure about that? You know, um, over the past several weeks, we have been looking at some what we consider to be healthy habits or core values of, of Heritage Community Church. These, I really think, are not just core values, but these are pictures of what it might look like to be a follower of Christ in the 21st century. But not just the 21st century, I think going all the way back to the days that Jesus walked the earth. And so we've been making our way through these core values and these attitudes that flow out of Scripture, and, um, and we've sort of related to them what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. Um, and we've talked about, and here are some of the ones that we've talked about, and I hope you've been paying attention all the way through, intimacy with God. We've talked about family, the importance, the significance of family, and that after our relationship with God, it be in number one position. Number two, our people matter, authentic community, kingdom perspective. And that today, we want to touch on the core value of relational evangelism. But before I do that, just like we've done every week, I'd like for you to sort of take an inventory, uh, an analysis it's part of a spiritual growth awareness that we have that was created several years ago. And it sort of lets us know, you know, how are we doing in these areas? And we've, we've sort of walked you through over the past several weeks saying, listen, just take this inventory, make a note of where you are, how you would score yourself, and let's just see, because this is what I know every one of us have areas of our lives that we need to improve on. True? Unless you're Bill O'Brien and then you're perfect and then you don't. Susan, you're supposed to... You're like, that's a no, right? Bill's got areas of improvement that he needs, I understand. But anyway, let me, let me sort of give you these questions. Uh, you can answer this with a zero for never, occasionally making some progress, often, and four being most of the time. So you, can, you have the ability to score yourself between zero and four. And then uh, um, we'll, we, will, we will sort of grade that out at the end. But here are the questions, starting off with number one. I feel personally responsible to invest, a personal res responsible to invest in those who are not Christ followers. Okay, do you sense as a follower of Christ that you should personally invest in the lives of others who are not Christ followers? Do you have that sense of personal responsibility? Just to score yourself. Question number two. I look for opportunities to build relationships with those who are not Christ followers. So as you go about throughout your day, do you find yourself thinking about um, how to develop relationships with those who are not Christ followers? Number three, I feel compelled to help others grow in their relationship with God. How would you mark yourself from zero to four? This is a little bit different just going to church, isn't it? I mean, all of a sudden, these questions begin become very significant because, man, I'm a Christ follower. Number four, I regularly pray my name for those who are not Christ followers. When's the last time you sat down and in your time of regular prayer and study, when's the last time you've prayed for somebody that didn't know the Lord? Number five, my heart is full of passion to share the good news with those who have never heard it. Number six, and lastly, my relationship with Jesus comes up frequently in my conversations. 
at work, sitting around the dinner table at lunch, maybe at supper at home, maybe it's out on the ball fields, wherever you may find yourself. How often does your conversation about Jesus, how, much do, how often does it end up being just a part of the, the normal conversations that you're having? And why don't you add those numbers up from zero to four, add them up, those columns, one to six, give yourself a number. And here it is, it says, for a babe in Christ, a new Christ follower, a baby, three to six, childlike follower, your numbers would be between seven and 12. A growing disciple, maturing, would be um, between the numbers of 13 and 18, and a maturing disciple maker, not just a disciple, but a disciple of disciples, 19 to 24. Now, somebody tell me this, um, what did you find, what did you score the lowest in? Just one person, be honest with me and say, this is what I scored the lowest in. If you don't answer me, I'm going to call some names out. Prayer, Prayer, praying for non-believers. What else? What did you find yourself, what what did you find yourself scoring the lowest in? Number three, compelled to help others grow, okay? Thank you for your honesty. Somebody else, Caleb, what about you in the back? Number two. Number two, look for opportunities to build relationships with non-believers. Anybody else? Number five, okay. Charlie Thompson, what about you? Number six, my relationship with Jesus comes up frequently. Wide range of areas where we might fall. Now look, this isn't to make you feel bad. But what this is, is to show us maybe some areas of our lives that we fall short. Because if we are going to be about the work of the Lord and doing what he's called us to do, man, listen, it's so much bigger than us just just, just walking in these doors on a Sunday and leaving. It's bigger than that. Don't you understand that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives that is much bigger than just attending church on a Sunday morning? You know, when I think about heritage... I don't think about just doing church. What I think about is about people that are followers of Jesus seeking to grow in their relationship with him and infecting the world around us. I mean, don't you see that? Don't you see the opportunity? I was just in a conversation. I was having just not long ago, and somebody had made mention of a, of, um, a church, and the person said, you go to church? What do you think was being said? With an attitude like that, you go to church? I thought church people were supposed to live differently. I thought that they were supposed to act differently. I I thought that their conversation was supposed to be just a little bit different. But you go to church? Let me give you an example. Let's just say that I were to ask Larry Mercer to come up here, and I were to ask Larry to come up here and sit with me, (coughs) and I were to hold Larry... And I were to rock Larry, and I were to feed Larry with a bottle, and I would burp him, and I would clean his face, and I, yeah, poop, poop and clean his diaper. I would play peekaboo with him, peekaboo, Larry. That'd look pretty odd, wouldn't it? I mean, think about that. Colt and I bring Colt up here and say, oh, hey, baby, how you doing? And I just coddle him and I sweet talk him and I just look him in the face and I just squeeze his cheeks and I say, you just look so good, young boy. But why is it that we think that that's normal part of the Christian life? 
I mean, there are adults that never grow up, and yet we coddle them, and we, we, you know, we just take care of them. We talk sweetly to them. We have to provide a specific environment for them so they don't get hurt or their feelings don't get hurt. And so they, they, we protect them, and we feed them over and over and over again and expect, listen, that's just the way it's going to be. They're never going to learn to feed themselves. Man, it's quiet in here this morning. But it would be so odd if we were to take an adult up here and we were to treat them like a child. You go, why are you doing that for? That just doesn't make any sense. Because healthy things are supposed to grow. Healthy things are supposed to mature. When Abby was just a young baby, she was born at like six weeks early, five and a half weeks early. It would take two hours, every two hours you'd have to feed her. For an hour and a half, it, it, that's how long it took to feed her was an hour and a half. You had to feed her every two hours. You talk about being exhausted. It wasn't me, but <laughs> but I did my job. And you know what? You had to take such care of her because, I mean, she, I've caught fish bigger than her, you know. And she, was, she would just lay right here, and she looked like a tie because she was born at Christmas time. Somebody gave her a red Christmas suit, and I could lay her, and she looked just like a tie. And you'd have to be so careful with her and so gentle with her to, you know, to give her a bath and to make sure everything was taken care of. But thank the Lord, I'm not still having to, to you know, to, hey, and feed her with a bottle and clean her diaper. And can you imagine? And yet so many times that's the way it is in, in church life. We, man, look, just come on, accept Jesus and stay a baby the rest of your life. No, God's called us to grow up. He's called us to mature in our faith. Bob, isn't that right? You're supposed to be sassy. You'd be the amen corner over there. Amen. <laughs> we weren't created to stay in diapers, but healthy things grow up and they mature. And it's the same thing in our relationship with Christ. Followers of Jesus are not to stay in the infant period, but we're to grow up. Grow up towards Christ's likeness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I want to read you some passages of Scripture before we get to where we want to get to today. But I think this is so important because I'm thinking, man, as we close, begin to close some things out, it's talking about core values, I don't want to miss this. So I want you to turn over to the book of Colossians with me just, just for a second, if you would, in the New Testament. Because I think Paul has some things to say that he wrote to the believers there at Colossae. And I say, and I, and I think about this, and, I, and I, you're going to read with me what, what Paul had to say, and I, and I think, man, yes, because that's what we pray for you when we gather together. This is what, like, Jim, this is what I pray for you. Terry, this is what I pray for you. And Raymond, this is what I pray for you. Mark and John, Bart, all of us. Man, Bill, this is what I pray for us. Sandy, this is what I pray. Alita, this is what I pray, that we would grow up and not become satisfied with the past but that we would mature in our faith. And I want you to hear what Paul has to say. And by the way, Paul would have written this somewhere around between 60 and 62 AD. This is one of what we would call Paul's prison letters. He had written several letters, one specifically a letter to, to, to the man Philemon, also the letters of, uh, of, to, to the Ephesians, the believers at Ephesus, the believers at Philippi, and this letter here was to the church at Colossae, the believers there. And look at what he says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I'm going to read these. Man, I just want you to soak in on this because this is so important. Listen to what he says. And here he is writing from prison. He said, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God. Man, praying for me and you're the one in prison. We ought to be praying for you. 
He said, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith. That's a big deal. You want to talk about a, a, a church? Man, I pray that people would hear about our faith as individually as well as collectively. I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and, and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. And this topic of good news will continue to come up. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. Listen to this, people. We're the world here. The gospel didn't start here. We're the world. When you start thinking about the gospel going out, you're where it went out to. Only because of the faithfulness of those in those early days is the only reason that we've heard the gospel. It's because of their faithfulness. He said it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it has changed your life from the day you first heard it and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the, the what? The good news. Where did you hear about it? You heard it from somebody. And he says here, Ephraim. The faithful servant and our beloved co-worker, he's a, he is Christ's faithful servant and he's been helping us on your behalf. He's told us about the love for others and the Holy Spirit uh, and that the Holy Spirit has given you. Where did their love come from? Where did their love come from? The Holy Spirit. What grows you up? Your abilities, your talents, your wisdom, your knowledge. The Holy Spirit grows you up into Christ's likeness. And he goes on in verse 9, so we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way that you live will always honor and please the Lord. Man, isn't that awesome? Listen to what he's saying. This is so great. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We said last week as we were talking about kingdom perspective, you, you want to know the Father better, spend some time walking with him. That's where you get to know people better and better. It's so different in our relationship with the Lord. We also pray that you will be strengthened. I mean, that's important. Be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have, listen, listen endurance and patience that you need. May you be filled with joy, Always thanking the Father that he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And just a little bit later, and Chris, where you are, where's Chris Wu at? So much for the potty talk up here. Talking about going in the bathroom. Chris, terrible. My goodness gracious. Johnny, yeah, she's something else, ain't she? <laughs> Chris, and here's your verse. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Listen to what he says just a little bit later. Paul says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus, here's that little theme, fixing to hit the theme of the women's retreat. Accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots go down into him and your lives be built on him. Here's the theme, rooted. Mm -hmm. 
then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Wow. And here is Paul in, in the, his letter to the church at Philippi, or to the church at Ephesus, and he's talking about growth and maturity and unity in the, in the faith. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Then you will no longer be immature like children. We don't want to stay young and we don't want to stay in that position of youthfulness. I guess you do want to physically and mentally and emotionally, but spiritually, no, don't stay in that position. Not like an immature child, because when you're like an immature child, he said, you're tossed around and blown about by every wind of teaching, a doctrine. We will not be influenced with, when people try to trick us with clever lies that sound like the truth, but instead we will speak the truth in love, growing up in every way to become more like Christ who is the head of the body of the church. Jesus is the head of the church, not a group of trustees, not a group of overseers, not a pastor or a group of pastors. Jesus is the head of the church. We fall underneath his leadership. Does that make sense? And it was Jesus that early on in his ministry, as we talk about you know, growing up and, and becoming a disciple, those three things that we've been talking about since we've started, man. Matthew, out of 419, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Listen, a disciple is that person who comes and says, listen, I will receive that invitation to follow Jesus. It's a free invitation to follow him. And it's open to everyone. But not just to stay in that position, a disciple of Christ is also someone who's growing up into the likeness of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we come to today that we finish this whole thing up and wrap it up. But a disciple is also someone who is committed to the mission of Christ. And part of that spiritual growth, part of that growing up is being committed to the mission of Christ. Well, what is that mission of Christ? Look over with me in Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20. Let's talk about that very briefly, and then I want to move to the book of Acts. We're moving through a lot of passages of Scripture today. So here's Jesus getting ready to leave. He's got his disciples together, and he says, look to them, guys. He said, listen, therefore, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them Teach them to obey all these things which I've commanded you. And listen, you don't have to worry because it's not on you, it's on me. Because I'm going to be with you from here to the end. You want to talk about being committed to the mission of Christ? We see here, listen, it's about making disciples, baptizing, teaching, discipling, growing up people in their faith. Nowhere in this does he, said, does he, does he talk about building bigger churches. Nowhere in here does he talk about numbers. No, nowhere, that's not what he's saying. He said, listen, we've got a responsibility individually as well as corporately to make disciples. To make disciples. And then if we look over at the book of Acts before, before Jesus leaves, I want you to look at this in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And here are the disciples. Jesus had just gotten through talking to them again about his kingdom and about what was to come. And man, they're so confused. They're still thinking about our earthly kingdom. They're still thinking about trying to restore Israel to its, its position of power. And Jesus is like, you guys, you still don't get it. You still don't understand it. And he says, listen, and there in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my what? Now somebody, please define for me, define for me the word witness. 
What is he, what is he saying? What'd you say? His, okay, what else? Somebody else? Huh? Tell others. What else? That's right. Tell them what you've seen. Tell them, tell, tell them exactly what's happened in your life. Be my witnesses. Be my, I want you to be my mouthpiece. You're going to be my witnesses, and you're going to tell about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And like I said earlier, we are the ends of the earth. For the first time, we have people that are sending missionaries to the United States. It used to be that we the United States were sending missionaries out, but now we have groups that are sending missionaries to the United States. What? To tell them the good news. That's the mission, to tell the good news and disciple others. So how is it that we can go from following Jesus to fishing for Jesus? How is it that we can go from following Jesus, maturing in our lives, to the place that we're carrying out what Jesus intended us for, do, for us to do? We talk about evangelism. We talk about sharing our faith with others. When we talk about the good news, listen, the good news, and we've already read it several times, people talking about the good news. They've heard the good news. They've shared the good news. What is the good news? The good news, Paul identifies it as Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We can see it explained there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, listen, I passed on to you what was, what was most important and what was also passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. John would say it this way. It seems to be a little bit more simpler. I mean, there's three things right there. Jesus, what? He died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. It's the good news resurrection. And now that resurrection power has the ability to come to you and to change your life if you're willing to receive it. John says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have eternal life. Two questions. And I think there's two questions that all of us ask. You know, what is it that I need to know and what is it that I need to do? You ever met somebody? Well, okay, well, you tell me about this good news. Well, tell me what is it that I need to know, and then what is it that I'm supposed to do? What do you find there in John chapter 3, verse 16? What is it that we need to know? God loved, and God gave. God loved us so much that he gave us something that only he could give. That's what we need to know. What is it that we need to do? <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have eternal life. What is it that we need to do? We need to believe, and then we need to receive it. And even though there is only one gospel, there are multiple different methods that we can go about sharing the gospel. Ways that we talk to others about faith. Let me just mention a couple of these with you briefly. These are some some different types of ways people evangelize. There's called what's called lifestyle evangelism. Some people say, well, I'm just going to live right. Others can see Jesus in me. I won't have to tell them anything. But if people just see Jesus in me, then everything will be okay. They'll, they'll sort of, I'm just going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live rightly. And my life is going to be uh, an example so that everybody else knows that Jesus changes lives. Well, that's great, I guess. There's something that's missing. It's called the proclamation of the gospel. 
Paul said this in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. He said, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? Talking about living righteously, listen to what Paul had to say a little bit later in one of his letters. Uh, Or Peter, excuse me. Peter said this. Peter said, listen, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And here it is. In other words, live righteously. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. There's a, they sort of go together. I'm going to live righteously, but I'm going to always be prepared to give an answer of the hope that lies within me. Your righteous living does nobody any good. It's the gospel that changes lives, not lifestyle evangelism. What about this, servant evangelism? I would have to say that that is probably the basis of Love Week. That's why we do what we do. Love Week is of no no interest to me unless it's an opportunity of serving others with the hope of seeing lives change. I have no other interest in Love Week except for the fact that it prompts us to do things which prompts people to ask questions. Does that make sense? Just to do good things is worthless. You do them with a purpose. It was God himself demonstrating God's love through serving and blessing others. It's the basis of the ministry village at First Baptist Leesburg. It's what we talked about all the time. And anytime we serve others, it opens the door for us to have influence and be heard. I'll always remember Popsicle Ministry. Many, many, many years we created that. Many years ago. Had a senior adult couple. They were so sweet. They were in their late 70s. And I sat down at a table and I explained it to them one day. And and I said, listen, I said, let's do something that's out of the ordinary. Let's take some popsicles. I said, because I think we can work one of the local stores. We can get them cheap. And I said, let's just serve the students on campus. Let's start out by serving athletes, all athletes. And on one day a week, consistently, On Mondays, let's serve all the athletic groups that are going on at that time. And I said, uh, um, let's just do it. Let's be faithful at it. Let's let's be consistent. And um, let's just see what God does. And I remember a conversation talking to some people. And they go, well, you are going to have some Bible verses on those popsicles, aren't you? I thought, are you kidding me? Well, you, how, you know, what good is that going to do about telling somebody about Jesus? And I said, oh, my goodness. When you do something on a consistent basis, time in and time out, it's amazing. You don't have to always tell somebody why you're doing what you're doing, but they'll ask you, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Which gives you an opportunity to be able to share the hope that lies within you. How many churches... How many times do churches and professing believers spend time condemning others and judging others instead of loving others as God has commanded us to do? How many times are we so concerned about the verse on the popsicle stick instead of the heart and the condition of the one that we're trying to reach out to? Paul, in speaking to the believers at Colossae, said this in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. He said, live wisely among those who are not believers, the pagans. The pagans. 
and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. You ever heard it said, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care? You've heard that somewhere. And we have to be careful because serving others doesn't change lives, but it does till the soil. It does till the rocky ground and give us an opportunity to be able to share the hope, the gospel. And then there's what's called event or mass evangelism. How many of you were saved um, in a mass, a mass event where an invitation was given and um, lots of people came to know the Lord? How many? Several people. Several people. John, what kind of event was it? Christian concert. Somebody else. Who? who? Arlita, you, you raised your hand. What was it? Youth camp. And that's what I would consider to be a mass evangelism or an event, that retreat, a youth camp, a conference, a Billy Graham uh, evangelism, uh, evangelistic event. We go back to the scriptures and we find examples of that. When Peter preaches at Pentecost and over 3,000 were added to the, to the numbers that day. And this is a great tool, yet on the other hand, it prompts us to see evangelism as an event instead of an everyday, ongoing activity. It's something that we go to. It's not something of who we are. Are you with me? You're supposed to say yes, I understand. You know, we'll let the church do some evangelistic events and we'll bring in. There's nothing wrong with that. There's not a thing wrong with that. But it removes you from the responsibility that you have, that God has given you. The privilege of being involved in that process. There's called door-to-door evangelism or confrontational evangelism. We were in Nashville uh, a couple of years ago with the family, and uh, there was an event that was taking place, and there were people holding up signs, and you're going to die and go to hell, and you better turn or burn, or, you know, all those things. And my kids looked at me and go, what are they trying to accomplish? Yet there are people that have come to know Christ that are walking with Christ because of door-to-door confrontational evangelism. But the statistics will tell you that this type of evangelism has become more and more difficult because of the lack of trust. And it's in that door-to-door evangelism that you were probably taught a tool, some type of a tool that you could use to evangelize and talk to others about Christ. Man, I love these tools because I think they're important. Early on, it was what was called, you know, how do you engage somebody in a conversation? Like I see Amy at school, and and all of a sudden, they had what they call the fire method. Well, tell me something about your family. You know, what are some of your interests? What about uh, religious questions like, you know, when you attend church, where do you attend? That's that's non-confrontational, right? You know, when you attend church, where do you attend? Or then the the questions, the exploratory questions, the the, uh, what we would call... You know, hey, listen, let me ask you a question. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Suppose you were to stand before the Lord and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you tell him? Or and then there was Bill Bright that we have the four spiritual laws. God loves us and has a plan for our lives, and yet humanity itself is tainted by sin. And as a result of that, our relationship with God has been separated. We've been separated from him. Yet God in his provision provided his son Jesus Christ. And if all we have to do is receive him, receive God's gift, trust in Christ to receive eternal life by placing our faith in him. 
Or then it might have been the Roman road that some of you may have heard about, where you take the book of Romans and you walk through the book of Romans, like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Or Romans 5.8, but God commended his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Or Romans 10.9 and 10, that whosoever shall... Um, 10, 9, and 10, confess with the mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For the heart man believes unto righteousness, but the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Or Romans 10, 13, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or Romans 5, 1, that therefore since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's multitudes of tools, but I just want to quickly, quickly talk to you about relational evangelism because all of these tools are important. All of these, all these different methods of evangelism are important, but I'll tell you what's important to us and what we value. It's something we find in the scripture over and over and over again. It's called relational evangelism. It's a, it's, a, it's a method where we can use tools like the four spiritual laws, or we can use tools like the Roman road, or we can use questions to get to know people, to build relationships. But the goal isn't dispersing information about how much you know, but the goal is building intentional relationships with the sole purpose of seeing others come to know Christ. When's the last time you've had a conversation with somebody where you intentionally set that meeting so that you could talk to them about Jesus Christ? When's the last time you've done that? When's the last time you've even cared? See, that is the mark of a growing believer, a maturing follower of Christ, being on the upper end when they're committed to the mission of Christ. Just not set in here being a baby, bringing him up on stage and feeding him all the time. But a growing mark of a disciple is when you see that God has given you a plan and a purpose for you to be on mission for him, committed to the mission of Christ, so that the world may know him. To intentionally pursue others with the intent of sharing the gospel. There are lots of passages that I can pull from the scripture, but I want you to turn over to the book of Mark with me really quickly. Mark chapter 2. And let's look to see what we find here in this passage. So here's Jesus. He's already called out Andrew and Peter. He's been by the seashore, and he's, he's called them out to follow them. We see where Jesus has already healed the man with leprosy as well as a paralyzed man. So the, Jesus, is, uh, his authority... Uh, there on earth, what people had seen in him, his, his, uh, uh, his people are starting to like Jesus, okay? And they're starting to, they're starting to wonder, what's this guy all about? Um, more attention is being drawn. And all of a sudden, we see Jesus having another interaction uh, with a person that society didn't think very much of. And in Mark chapter 2, let's read this little bit of this story to see exactly what happened as Mark defined it in his gospel. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And this is what it says. Jesus is out by the seashore again. And Jesus went out to the lakeshore again. Okay? Earlier, remember, we had, he had saw Andrew and Peter and called them. And he says he was teaching. He taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw. Circle that for me, please. As he walked along, he saw. Why did Jesus see? Why did Jesus see? Was he looking at his cell phone? Was he checking his social media? Was he caught up in what he was going to be doing tomorrow? Why did Jesus see? Because he was paying attention to his surroundings. 
When's the last time you've paid attention to your surroundings and what God may be doing? It says as he walked along, he saw. He wasn't distracted by the worldly concerns that we may be, but it says that he, he saw. And who did he see? Look at what he says. Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Where was he sitting? He was sitting at the tax collector's booth. Why was he sitting at the tax collector's booth? Because he was a tax collector. Dummy, come on. He was sitting at the tax collector's booth because he was a tax collector. What do tax collectors do? Did you guys say rob you? That's <laughs> Man, they were known as a thief, as a crook. And here he was. He, was, he was cheating out his fellow Jews in the collection process, and everybody knew it. And there was nothing they could do about it. So Matthew had this, um, <clears throat> he had this uh, reputation. Nobody really didn't want anything to do. And they tried to avoid him, but Jesus didn't avoid him. And when he saw him, he didn't run from him. He didn't go to him and hold up a sign that said, you're going to die, go to hell. He didn't do that. But Jesus approached him and he engaged him in a conversation that involved an invitation. Listen to what he said. Same thing, follow me. Follow me and be my disciple. Hmm. Jesus goes up to a guy that would have been the worst of the worst and calls him out to follow him. But see, I know how, see, I know how we are as, as religious people. They aren't good enough. There's no way that God could use them because don't you know what they do? Don't you know how they act? Don't you know their reputation? Don't you know how they're viewed? Just listen. Jesus goes up to him and says, listen, follow me. He said to him, the guy that everybody else avoided, Jesus befriended. And so Levi, Matthew, got up and he did what? And he followed him. You know why he followed Jesus? Because Jesus invited him. Probably one of the only invitations that he had ever had. See, this is what I know about unsafe people. This is what I know about pagan people. I know tons of pagan people that are just looking for an invite. Yet how many times do we walk the other way? How many times do we not care about them? We do not want to spend any time with them because of we're afraid of what other people may say. But Matthew followed him because Jesus invited him. And Levi must have had such a great time because look, look what ended up happening. Look at verse 15. Later, look at what he did. So, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. In other words, his home was big enough because of all the tax that he had cheated people out of. He had a big house, probably had a big pool, you know, big, big lanai. He probably had a couple of people fixing food, some, what do you call those little weenies, you know, the little brown smokies and, you know, and stuff like that. They were having like a fireside chat. Probably somebody, he probably even had one of those little fire pits and had somebody doing uh, s'mores and stuff. Had Chick-fil-A, probably de delivering some Chick-fil-A Chick chicken bites, some public subs. Jesus was invited to his home as dinner guest. But he just didn't invite Jesus. This is very interesting because he just didn't invite Jesus, but he invited other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. 
And you know what really catches my attention in this? <laughs> By the way, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. In other words, the people that sometimes we have a tendency to overlook, to bypass, to look beyond, to forget about, Jesus didn't. Because this is what Jesus knew. And this is the truth. Pagans, no pagans. Pagans, no pagans. Disreputable people hang out with disreputable people. But how many times do we overlook those? And instead of letting them know and loving them, how many times do we bypass them? And then you got that statement that sort of just makes you blood boil, I guess. Maybe it does, it does me. When the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Jesus was good. What did he say? He told them healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Don't miss, don't miss this, the verbiage here. I have come to call those who, I've, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. Let me read that for you again. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Man, let me read that for you again. This is the New Living Translation. Here, here's what it says. I have come, Jesus speaking, I have come to not call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Religious people are good about taking public stands on certain issues, yet having things going on in their lives behind the darkness. I can usually tell you where there's a problem. Where there's fussing going on, you sit around long enough and you listen. Caleb and I are having a conversation about that today. If you listen long enough, it doesn't take long. I'm, this is why my prayer. Whatever's done in darkness, let it be brought to light. See, I pray for that for marriages. I pray for that in all kinds of situations, business deals. Lord, whatever's being done in darkness, bring it to light. That's the only way it can be healed. That's the only way that there can be, um, that things be made right. And here it are in the 21st century, things are no different. The followers of Christ, we have the same responsibility to make a difference, to love our enemies, to build intentional relationships with the intent of sharing Christ. And when we live and when we love as Jesus does, it opens the door of the hearts of people. It tills the soil because they know you care. When Jesus had dinner with the tax collector, his integrity would have been questioned as well as his intentions, but it didn't stop him from doing what he had come to do. How many of you have relationships with pagan people? people who don't know the Lord, people who are far away from the Lord. Some of you need to stay out of those relationships because you're tempted to do what they do. 
But listen, all of us should have relationships with unsafe people because why we're should be about sharing the gospel of Christ. That's how the message, not just assembling ourselves on Sunday morning and, and getting some information, you've been called to something greater. Your purpose is greater. Your mission is greater. Yet how many times do we fail at that? Michael Frost in his book, Surprise the World, talks about five habits that we can develop in our lives to help us live out and be committed to the mission of Christ. I want to give you these five things. They, would, they spell the word bells. But I want to give you these five things very, very quickly as we finish up here. This is what I want you to know about relational evangelism. It's not passive as lifestyle evangelism may be, but it is very, very intentional. And here's a pattern that he gives us to be able to follow. As we, as we look at the world and the views and seeing the world as Jesus saw, of helping us see the broad expanse and the potential that, that we have of living for Christ and living on mission for him. <laughs> and he gives us five habits that are that to help us in, in sharing the gospel and discipling other people and walking alongside of them. And here are the five very quickly. Number one, B, bless. Bless. Both inside the church is out, as well as outside the church. You talk about Love Week, man, it's a great opportunity for you to go bless somebody this week. Matter of fact, why don't you write down, this week I'm going to bless three people. Three people that I know. One of those will intentionally be somebody who does not know Christ. Why? For the intent of being able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to tell them about the hope that lies within you. Bless. The second one is eat. Man, I like this one. Not just bless people, not just bless people with intentionality, but listen, I'm going to set some schedules around eating because that's what we do. You see it in the scriptures. How many times do you see something happening with Jesus around a table of food? And it's great. I don't have meals with people just to go have meals and shoot the bull. I ain't got time for that. I go have meals with people to sit down and talk with them about certain things, most of the time about what's going on in their life and what's, what's Christ doing and how are they going about living out on mission. When's the last time you set a, a schedule of a meal where, where you were out trying to encourage somebody else and spur them on, or you were eating with a non-believer, somebody who didn't know Christ, and you were eating specifically so that you would have the, that you would have the opportunity one day to, to share the gospel of Christ? Listen, I challenge you to, to set your, your, your meal schedules. You know, this past week, this next week, would you even consider eating with somebody and be, making it be intentional? Now, don't go do it with somebody of an opposite sex and say, Pastor, tell me I could take another woman out. That's not what I said. That's a whole nother problem, okay? Don't do that. Set your meal schedule. Eat with somebody. Eat with somebody to disciple. Eat with somebody to be able to encourage and lead them to Christ. What about listen? B is bless. E is eat. L is listen. Listen to the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. As we engage people around us, I will seek to make a habit of spending time in God's Word while listening for the Holy Spirit. I had somebody tell me this week something that God told him, and I said, that's a lie. And they said, huh? I said, God would never say that. It was, how do you know that? I said, because he didn't say that anywhere in Scriptures any place. I mean, it's totally contrary to anything he would ever tell us. You find out the heart of the Lord through listening to the Holy Spirit and reading His Word. If you're not spending any time in the Word, you're going to come up with some crazy stuff and to be tossed to and fro. Spend time in the Word so that you know what the Word says. I just told a person, I said, that's not the heart of God. 
Nowhere in Scripture do you, do you see where that type of attitude or behavior is acceptable. Read the Word. Listen to the Holy Spirit. He'll lead you. I promise you that. The, the second L is learn. Learn from Christ. Read the gospel. See how Jesus interacted and how he shared the good news and how he discipled others. I love what C.S. Lewis had to say. In one of his writings, he said, In the same way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ to make them little Christ. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, the clergy, the missions, the sermons, and the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is vital that we grow. If we aren't going to be about the mission of Christ, we need to shut the doors. If we aren't going to be about proclaiming the gospel, if we aren't going to be about making disciples, we need to shut the doors because we're wasting our time. And if you aren't committed personally and individually as a follower of Jesus, if you aren't committed personally um, to sharing the gospel and to discipling others, you need to go back and as a friend of mine would say, you need to check yourself, bro. That's a grow-up call. Or do you just like to be fed? Just feed me, clothe me, you know, take care of me, put me in a little environment so nobody ever hurts me. And it's in those difficult times. Remember what Paul prayed? I pray that you'll be strengthened. And I pray that you'll have patient endurance. Because you need that in the faith. That's what we need. The fifth thing is sent. S. As a disciple of Christ, I must realize that I have been sent. I'm a missionary. Look at the person on your right and say, I'm a missionary. No, you, you're not convincing me. I'm, you need to say something. I'm a missionary. <clears throat> you don't have to go to Africa. Rob Sullivan is on a plane right now, back coming back from Africa and working, building a hospital there in Togo, Africa. You don't have to go to Africa to be a missionary. They're right beside you in the workplace. They're right beside you in your home. They're in the home. They're at school, teenagers. We're to live on mission every day for Jesus, being his hands and feet, building relationships intentionally with the intent of sharing the good news of Christ. Bob Woods, in a story uh, written several years ago, tells this um, of a couple who took their son and their daughter on a trip to a set of caverns, Carlsbad Caverns. They were young children at this time. And I want to read this because I want you to get the influence, the, uh, the impact of it. And it says, as always, when the tour reached the deepest points in the cavern, the guide would turn the lights off. And if you've ever been to a cavern, you know what that's like. So you get to this place in the deep, dark places, and they turn the lights off. <laughs> and there was a silence. The little girl, suddenly overwhelmed with the darkness, frightened, she began to cry. And immediately she heard the voice of her brother Sis, don't cry. Don't cry. Because somebody knows how to turn the lights on. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to think about that in the context of the people in the world today living in darkness. And God has given you the insight, the ability, and the truth to turn the lights on in the darkness. 
they're just waiting on somebody to engage them. Where would you be if somebody didn't love you enough to share? The challenge for us to be about God's business, that as a body of Christ and as a church, that we would understand the responsibility that we have to be on mission discipling, being a witness, being an influence of God's grace and mercy in the community. That's important. To look at things the way Jesus looked at them. You want to reach people? Start building relationships with unsafe people, living for Jesus, telling them about the gospel and about the hope that it brings. My challenge for those of you that are believers here today, get busy. Get busy. For the person that may be here today and doesn't know Christ, my question is, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? My second question is, suppose you were to stand before the Lord and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say to him? Would you bow your heads with me today? We're going to do things a little bit differently here. This is what I want to know. Without a shadow of a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, I know for certain, without a shadow of a doubt, that if I were to die today, I know where I would spend eternity, and it would be in heaven because I have asked Jesus to be my personal Lord and Savior. I've submitted my life to him, and I'm seeking to grow up and to mature in him. If that's you, would you just raise your hand where you are? Don't look around. Just keep your eyes closed. Multitudes of people. With all those hands that are raised, let me just ask you the question, when's the last time you've been intentional about sharing Jesus with others? When's the last time that you've even cared enough to share Jesus? See, the mission here isn't for us just to church on Sunday mornings and, and make things look good. Our, our, we're to be about the mission of being on mission to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, and that begins here in Jerusalem, in Judea in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. I'm challenging you, those of you that raised your hands, to be faithful to that task. I'm calling you out now, and I am, I am, um, I am praying over you that you will see yourself as a missionary on mission for Jesus, that you will understand that you are an ambassador and that you will accept that challenge today. That even now the Holy Spirit is bringing to you people, the names of people that you need to engage in relationships, to reach out to, to build those relationships, to sit down and have a meal. But not only to reach out to people who don't know Christ, but to also be a discipler of other people. To help others mature in their faith. That's sort of a responsibility. That's what you do as a family. You walk alongside brothers and sisters and help them grow. But what about those of you that don't know? Is there anyone here today that would say, said, I can't answer that question. I don't know. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. 
Is there anybody here with every eye closed and every head bowed that would raise their hand and say, Sid, that's me? I don't know. Anybody else? Several hands. I want to ask uh, if some of our overseers would come. And this is how I want to close out today. Melvin, you come. Sheila, come. Meredith, come. This is how I want to close out. It wouldn't surprise me if the Lord hadn't already laid on your heart somebody, if you're a believer, somebody that you need to be reaching out to. If so, the Lord has laid somebody on your heart, or you just want somebody to pray for you as believers, I want you to come. You can come right now. You don't have to sit there and wait. But if the Lord's laid somebody on your heart, listen, respond. Don't, don't sit back and go, I'll just talk. No, man, listen, this is accountability. Come right now. Just sit down and say, listen, would you pray for me? Somebody's Lord, Lord's laid somebody on my heart. But also, there are some of you that, that raised your hands and said, I'm here today, and I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm not going to tell you a prayer does not save you. A prayer does not save you. But this is the beginning of the process when you open up your heart and you open up your, your life to say, I don't understand, but this is what I know. The gospel, the gospel. Jesus died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. And I don't understand it all, but that's what I do understand. And I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. And if that's you today, man, listen, while others are coming, during, as we're dismissing, I want you to come. Do not walk out of this room without coming to one of these and saying, listen, I today wanted to give my life to Christ. It's the most important day of your life, the biggest decision that you'll ever make. I want to pray over you, and we're going to be dismissed, but this is an opportunity for people to come for you to grab one of these and say, I want you to know this person comes to my mind. Or to grab somebody here and say, listen, today I want to give my life to Jesus. But that's church. See, that's church. Church isn't just getting together on Sunday morning and leaving. Church is when we talk about the mission of Christ. And we're about his mission. Dear Jesus, I pray that as we finish up our time together, Lord, I pray that in this time there would be multitudes of people that would come to the realization, man, I, I call myself a Christ follower, and I'm trying to grow in Christ, but Lord, I don't want to mature. I want to mature to the place that I'm telling others, and I'm building intentional relationships. Father, I pray that, if, that there would be those that would come to say, would you, would you pray with me over this person or this group of people? And that we would pray and that we would engage and we would, there would be some accountability. But Father, for the person that's here that doesn't know Christ, even this morning would they come saying today, I don't know Jesus, but would you help me to, to make that decision? Help me start this journey of living on, on, uh, on mission for Jesus and following Jesus with my life. Father, I pray that we would be an unusual church, Father, the church that you've called us to be, not just satisfied, but Father, we would do be about your business, your business, under your authority, under your leadership, and your kingdom, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Father, for, for, for joining us in this time today. 
may we seek to grow up in our, in our faith and mature in Jesus' name. Amen.